That one driven deep right field. Thank you, go. Gone for Morgan Chris. And Vincent Chamberlain. That ball. Going to the wall. Chamberlain the second for this first hit. Mounted second, going to third. With his first hit of the season. So, and the pitch. That one swung deep to left. And that one's gone! Savvy Seaman with a three-run shot. And the Warhawks take the lead. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of Podcast on D-Shot. My guest today is in his 10th season of coaching the women's soccer team at UW-Whitewater and Ryan Kwame. Coach Q has a little bit of a Lance Leipold-esque record at Whitewater, 131, 37, and 13 in those 10 seasons as head coach after serving as assistant coach for both the men's and the women's soccer teams at Whitewater under Greg Henschel. Um, five-time WIAC Coach of the Year, led Whitewater the NCAA tournament all but one year in his tenure, including the run at the uh, Elite Eight in 20, 2015. Um, coach, um, welcome on. Thanks, D-Shot. I appreciate it. And that was a, a great intro, though. Coach Leipold, that's one more thing that I do, don't have, which is six national championships. But we'll keep on the way, and hopefully, hopefully Coach will invite me back to lunch someday if we can earn one. Okay. Um, first question for you is how did you get into coaching soccer? Um, I always grew up playing soccer, obviously. Um, always had a passion. Probably when I got into high school, thought I wanted to continue my career in sport in some way. I, I was into um, all sports, enjoyed playing and watching all sports. Um, and then about high school, I started to do some coaching of some younger kids, you know, at camps to help my coaches out uh, and just got involved and liked it and um, did it originally just to kind of help get some coach some club teams and help pay my way through college. Uh, and it became a passion that I wanted to pursue. And so I did some full time work at the club uh, and club youth soccer for a long time. Uh, and then the goal of of moving out of collegiate level. And I was fortunate that Coach Henshaw and I connected through some club soccer connections and was very fortunate that he was able to bring me on to Whitewater in 2008. Um, what soccer teams do you like and what uh, soccer stadiums have you been to? Oh, great question. Well, obviously our U.S. national teams uh, I'm a huge supporter of, and I think our men are heading in the right direction. Our women have obviously a little bit disappointing in the Olympics, but have had a great run, um, you know, really since the 1991 crew. Um, so they've been fun to watch. Professionally, uh, I'm a Chelsea FC fan, um, who's obviously Champions League champions of, of last year. So it's been fun the last year or so. Um, Soccer has given me a lot. And one of the things it's given me is the ability to travel the world. So um, I've actually been to quite a few stadiums. I've had the privilege. We took our men's team over to Spain in 2010. I uh, went to a game at Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid. Um, been to Chelsea's stadium a couple different times for games. My last professional game overseas I was at was Chelsea and uh, Man City game in 2019, which was pretty exciting um, to watch as well. But I've been to Fulham, probably seven or eight different stadiums throughout Europe. Um, and then obviously some stadiums throughout the U.S. and MLS and watching our, our U.S. national team play. So it's been pretty exciting. Probably the best games I've been to was I was at two U.S.-Mexico World Cup qualifiers where the U.S. won to clinch their right uh, to advance to those World Cups. Both of those were in Columbus. One was for the 06 World Cup and one was for the 2010. So the Mexico-USA games are always uh, 
a great atmosphere with the, the rivalry behind them. So, um, yeah, that's probably the teams in the, the stadiums I've been fortunate to go to. Uh, favorite favorite player to watch? Oh, that's a, another good question. Um, so, you know, I think on the world stage right now, you got Messi and Ronaldo the last 10 years, at least on the men's side. Um, I, I'm more of a Messi guy than a Ronaldo guy. I just enjoy watching his playmaking ability. Um, on the U.S. women's national team currently, uh, Rose Ravel, who played up at UW-Madison. So I, I've had the privilege of watching Rose when she was playing collegiately. We tried to get up a game or two even around our season. Um, but again, both just playmakers and and do a lot of the little things as well as being very talented offensively. So those are probably my two favorite current ones right now. A um, little bit of a coaching question. Um, your favorite coaching moment, and then on the flip side of that, your least favorite coaching moment. That's a good question. Um, well, I'll start with my least just because it, it, it comes to my head right away. It's not something I'm proud about, but um, I've got one red card in my tenure here as head coach. So uh, I say least. I love that. I love that. I love that when delivering pizzas around to you because I was like always trying to write, give Kwame a red card. And it was right, always funny, funny when you were like the, that one game, you were like, ran, your, I think your wife pointed it out and you were sitting. Yeah. Was it in the Perkins Stadium somewhere uh, up top? I had to serve a one-game suspension, so I was sitting on top of, uh, the, you know, the upper deck of the press box in Perkins Stadium because I still had a, not a very good view, but I still had a, a, a bird's view, I guess, of, of Fiscum Field. So that would be my least favorite, 100% on me and the accountability. I mean, you have some moments um, in sport that just don't go your way, but that, that one I'll own. Um, and my favorite moment, again, I've been privileged to a lot of things. There's a there's a few games and, and moments that, that come to mind, but I would say um, obviously the NCAA tournament, your WIC championships, anytime you're winning a championship in a, in a playoff type setting is always fun. And then the NCAA tournament just has a different vibe to it. So we scored in overtime to beat Illinois Wesleyan in the sweet 16 round in 2015, uh, I believe it was. Uh, and it was it was a great game. We were up 1-0. We lost Brianna Reed, who was our two-time All-American. At that time, she was just a junior, so one-time All-American. Early, we were up 1-0. We kind of gave a goal back. And just those moments in soccer that that sometimes the ball bounces your way. We had a hard foul. It's going to be our player's second yellow. She's going to get a red card. We're going to be shorthanded for the next 15 minutes of overtime or until a goal scored. And then we take the counterattack, the ref gives advantage. Again, I have no question he's going to come back and book her for a yellow. And we take the ball down and we, Jenna Woodson and Marie Les Browns end up combining on a goal and we're in the Elite Eight. So that one was a favorite just because of the moments that were kind of around it. Um, but there's been there's been plenty of great moments. Our men's team, we scored against Loris with four seconds left in double overtime as they're counting it down. Loris was defending I think national runner-up so there's been a few just great games and moments that you kind of remember and maybe when I'm finished coaching there'll be more time to reflect back on them uh you and Tony Gwynn have a unique um other side of things where you've both been um high school head coaches how does high being a former uh high school head coach help with kind of the college sports recruiting side of things yeah, well, yeah, and I've coached at all levels, club soccer, and in soccer, you kind of have the youth club game, then you have high school, um, obviously, where you're kind of recruiting. So I think having connections in both is is important. 
Um, you know, I think some of your higher level, level college team and some division three teams get caught up into just watching players in club and probably because of coach Gwyn nice high school background. I don't think either of us approach that. We get plenty of players. Brianna Reed is a great example um, from seeing him play in high school and not necessarily club settings. So we don't ever want to leave a, a stone that, that hasn't been turned, I guess. Um, so obviously you have those connections, but in high school, you're also, you have an administration, you have an athletic director, um, you're playing for your school and kind of how you manage your student athletes. You have the academic side to worry about. Um, and even though it's high school and it's a little bit different at college and maybe the expectations are a little bit higher, um, I think all that time as a, as a high school coach um, only further helped me and prepared me for when I had the opportunity to be a head coach here. Okay, okay. this other, this next question, I don't, I've never asked you, but I, I want to throw it by you. How much of it was a challenge to be a part of both uh, coaching staffs at Whitewater before it split into you being the head coach of the women's program. And then obviously Tony came in and coached the men's program. Yeah, that's, that's another great question, Daniel, that I don't think people that aren't um, a part of soccer, especially weren't 10 years ago, don't understand. I mean, that was a trend in, in college soccer for many years and it was accepted to have the head coach and it was extremely difficult. There was a lot of challenges. Um, you have an emotional win, good or bad. Um, and you got to turn around within 30 minutes to coach the next game. And it, it just wasn't fair to the student athletes. Um, practices, Coach Entrell was had great foresight. When I, I originally, my first year was just helping with the men. And when I came out for the men and women the next year, um, we coached, we trained the men in the morning that first year in 2008 because looking full time for uh, what is now Wisconsin Rush Club Soccer out of Madison. So it just fit my schedule. Well, then he's like, man, this is great because now we have the men in the morning. We ended up moving the women to the morning, but women in the morning and men in the afternoon. And we actually had some space be between our uh, training sessions. So we weren't flipping gears. And it was, I think, after doing it for 10 years that Greg did with with little to no at least full time support. Um, he's like, wow, what a change. It's just, we were mentally more prepared for both. So I was fortunate when, when coach Henshaw got the opportunity at UW Milwaukee, um, Dr. Plinsky was our athletic director, both Greg and Paul were great to me in that transition. Uh, Paul kind of really put the ball, uh, Gordon asked if I wanted the men, we wanted to together. And I said, without a doubt, we have to split them. Um, there's just so much more we can do for each program when it comes to recruiting, preparing in a season as far as scout work and video work and keeping up on their academics if we're separate. And I, you know, I think early on in my career, especially that motivated us to have success to prove that that was the case. And now the trend the last 10 years is, is everybody's kind of went away from that. Um, thankfully dual coach though, there's a team in our conference who I won't name who just went back to it. And I think it's a big disappointment for, for both our conference and their student athletes that they took that step short term or not. And I might, I know they might have some administrative needs, but it, it really is just not a fair environment for the student athletes. And, and then out of that came really back then we had kind of created coach Allman's position. I'm sure you remember Matt was created out of camps, but we kind of had a, at least a, it looked like a full-time assistant. It wasn't with benefits and so forth, but we were able to fund that. And now in 10 years, we went from probably being the most staffed program in the WIC, the least if most of them got full-time uh, assistant coaches or minimally a GA with them now. And, and hopefully we're able to build something here. Um, to do that as well for our student athletes. But I just think that shows kind of that transition in 10 years, men's and women's soccer and D3s went from being shared coach to now a lot of your programs having one or two assistant coaches, which makes sense. We're currently at 36 student athletes. So a ratio of one to 36 um, doesn't make a lot of sense when you talk about the overall student experience. 
So I'm happy to see soccer at that level. Okay. Um, coaching in the pandemic, obviously, um, was an adventure. Um, so what was your your team team able to do, or what was the kind of the soccer programs at Whitewater able to do in terms of like practices and all that last year and their sure. like last fall? Yeah, we got a little bit of a late start. We started like September 10th, somewhere around there last year. Uh, some of the programs started a little earlier around here, athletic programs. We just said get into school, get this sorted out, get your COVID testing out of the way. Let's see where we're at with numbers and so forth. But then from there, pretty much there on, we started with small pods um, so that we have those players. Obviously, our student athletes were testing on a weekly basis, sometimes twice a week um, here on campus. But we built it up by probably October 1st to pretty much going full-sided. Um, and we went full-sided right up till Thanksgiving, took a couple weeks off, came back, did the quarantine, retested, and actually practiced a week in December. And then we were able to come back in January and, and we were pretty much going four to five days a week through the whole spring. It was, it was very beneficial. The NCAA last year, instead of, they just basically gave us a number of dates we'd usually get between the fall and the spring and said we could use them however we wanted. So we didn't even come close to using all of our dates, but what it allowed us to do is have a lot more contact with our student athletes in the second semester. Um, and for us in particular, we have a lot of returners from our 2019 team. I think we were pretty young in 2019. Um, we finished strong. One of my most enjoyable seasons, just how they rebounded and finished uh, in my tenure here, but to have that group for that whole year, get a freshman class up to speed that they kind of had a quote unquote red shirt year. Um, we're seeing the the benefits of it right now, just finishing up preseason. I think our team is, is further ahead in a lot of areas than we've been in years past. Now we'll see how it transitions to the field, but overall it was a beneficial year from us, from a soccer standpoint, the challenge was obviously the mental um, health of all of us. And, and I viewed it as our athletes, just getting an opportunity to get out there and play was a chance to, to release and not have to worry about, you know, some of the other stuff that was going on and calling them stress. So that's how we used it. You know, we just played a lot. We did a lot of, we tried to do an inner squad every week and just keep it fresh once we got through those first initial weeks. And again, just tried to provide the game. And I think it gave a, I think a lot of our student athletes also got a new appreciation um, for being a collegiate athlete and the opportunity and, and the privilege they have, which sometimes you got to have something taken away from you before you realize what you have. So again, I, it was a difficult time. There were definitely things that worked against us, but now that we're, we're getting through and hopefully can have a pretty normal season this fall. I think there's a lot of things we're going to look back and actually um, have greatly benefited from and learn from during this time. How did that kind of help with like the depth of, of teams? Yeah, I, I think it helped the depth of teams. I was just talking to some of my, my peers over the last couple of weeks as we prepare for our season. I said, you know, I think everybody right now either is really high on their team and really likes their team, or you probably don't because that's the only team you've been with the last, you know, year to, to 18 months. Um, but I think for depth, it helped tremendously. You know, you, for us being a fall sport, man, you know, those first two weeks, our students are on campus. They're part of soccer from 730 in the morning till 8, 9, 10 at night. Um, and then the classes start, right? So you kind of have, then it's like a whole new thing, which we're transitioning through as classes start tomorrow here for us. Um, and I think some of our athletes forget, oh, I am here to, to be a student first. <laughs> and they got to kind of have that transition um, back to it a little bit. So um, for us, just having them in and, and getting that experience added to our depth. And the other thing we didn't have is we didn't have anybody really quit from last season because sometimes you get in and you don't play much and you're like, I don't want to do this. It's too much time. Well, everybody was kind of um, 
you know, just playing and it was pretty low key and wasn't real stressful. So a lot of athletes stuck it out and saw great improvement in their game. And I think this, one of the challenges this season now is we're going to have to go through that with both our freshmen and essentially our sophomore class. So there will be a little bit of adjustment there. Uh, but I think every, a lot of teams are coming out of it with more depth. They just didn't have the number of student athletes, you know, fall off at the division three level. You got to play because you want to play. There's no athletic scholarships tied to it, which is great, but you got to want to be here. And I think, Again, last year provided them a lot of here. Now they got a taste of it. And I think we'll have a little less turnover um, in our roster because of it, which essentially increases our depth. So we're a little bigger roster right now than we usually carry, in part because of that. And then in part because we have three, what I'm calling super seniors, which is three of the uh, fifth-year seniors and and, and Anna, uh, Katie Cusworm, and Anna Boyd, um, who are all back. And we're very fortunate to have them back. So it's just it, our rosters are a little bit bigger because of those fifth-year students as well. Um, obviously you guys get started this weekend, um, at St. Scholastica at St. Benedict, as if the state of Wisconsin has enough to deal with any, any of these saints, um, this week, obviously the Packers are playing the saints. So that was kind of a joke. Um, yeah, I got you, but, uh, just talk about this year and, um, I guess expectations of the team expectations of the conference. Sure. Well, we're, you know, we built the program here and it's, it's a credit to our alums, not, not myself or anybody else. They built a foundation and bought into what we're doing and keep building on it. So our expectations the same as every year, which is we're going to, we're going to compete and, and win a WIC regular season champ, WIC tournament championship and, and get in the NCAA tournament. But I think our even stakes are a little bit higher with this group, just based on the number of returners, some of those that have sacrificed coming back for that fifth year and, and kind of what we went through. So um, I, I, you know, early on, again, we haven't played any games and it could all change if you talk to me next week, D shot, but um, right now this team's got a vibe that that 2015 and 2016 team did. Um, you know, we'll see if we can put it all together. One of the big question marks we got to figure out is our is our goalkeeper position. We both we lost both Sarah and, and Nina, who were who were seniors that pretty much started their whole four year careers between the two of them. Um, so that's an that's an area we got basically three first year soccer players between the freshmen and sophomores, and then um, one junior competing for that spot. So that's an area we got to figure out. But besides that, we got a lot of returners and spots and some very good first and second year players backing them up. So again, I, I like our vibe a lot right now. We have a lot of great readership. Um, this weekend will be a great test. Saints class is in the NCAA tournament every year. We open with them quite a bit. Both teams know each other pretty well. They've given us some competitive games. In fact, the NCAA tournaments, um, I don't remember exactly what year it was here, but they almost, they almost beat us. Uh, we needed an overtime goal. We were up 2-0 and they battled back and we found an overtime goal to to beat them. I think it was 2013, uh, if my memory serves me right. Um, so they're always a good team. St. Ben's, you know, my wife brought this up. She's good at finding this stuff, but I, I don't pay attention to this stuff, but she's like, St. Ben's, I don't ever remember you beating St. Ben's. And actually, and since we played them, I think we've tied twice and lost once since I've been head coach. And um, she pointed out there's not a lot of teams that we've played that we haven't got a result against at some point. So uh, maybe a little extra personal motivation. But I, what I'm getting at is they're always a very talented team to stay with us playing on the road is tough. They beat us in 19 in overtime um, up at their place. So this will be a great test coming off this weekend. Uh, I think we'll get a better idea kind of where we are going into the ripping game and an MSO game, MSOE game the next week. But um, again, I'm, I'm extremely proud of our student athletes that have stuck it out. Uh, and the passion and drive and leadership they're kind of showing right now in these first two weeks. 
All right, this next couple of things will be a little bit more fun. Um, I, I wanted to ask this to Coach Bolas in my football <laughs> one with him, but uh, you, some sports at Whitewater, you, you know what the, icon, the iconic memory or iconic play are. Um, with men's basketball, sure. it's Cordell's game winner, coast to coast in the national title game. And women's basketball, it's the Mary Merg double buzzer beater thing. Um, football would be really interesting because there's probably so many. Um, if you had to pick one player moment to be like the play you replay over and over again for, and I'll, and I'll say for both programs, because obviously you've been an assistant for yeah. the men's program. Sure. But what would that be for the women's program and what would that be for the men's program? Wow. That's a great question. Again, there have been a lot of great moments. I think one moment that stands out for me that that kind of there's a few moments, but um, one moment for me that kind of put us like we took the next step as a program. Right. And I, uh, we were on the national stage for real was uh, we beat Washington in, in 2015, Washington University. They ended up going on to win the national championship um, that year. We beat a 1-0 in September in a really hard fought game. Um, great game, physical game, had a lot of things. And that's one of those wins where we had had some great regional wins over the years. Um, and obviously we had done extremely well in our conference, but we had never in, in my time on the women's side, at least beat that national opponent. That's always there until that point. Um, and so that's a game that will, that will always stick with me. Um, we countered attacked them. I don't remember actually who scored. I should know that, but I, I can picture the goal. I just don't know who put it in. It might've been Bree, but, um, that was a great game. Like that was like, all right, we're here. And then we had to come back the next day and beat a very good DePaul team. And that, to me, that was uh, kind of like the miracle on ice team from 80. You, you beat Russia, but you got to finish it off. Right. And that was a tournament. And we were able to finish it off that day and win it. And that was kind of left that going, well, we're, we're there now we can, we can compete with anybody. And I think even though the players have graduated, that's still like just a moment in our program that, that kind of propelled us. Another one real quick on the women's side when I was an assistant was Stevens Point. We couldn't get over the hump. Stevens Point was dominant for many years. Um, and, and we went, and Eau Claire too, both of them. And we, that 2010 year, we were able to share the title with Stevens Point, but they had beaten us. But 2011, we came back and we were able to beat Point both in the regular season as well as the conference tournament. And it just, again, now we knew that it was ours and we were on top of the mountain and people, people kind of had to, you know, reach us and grab it from us. So um, those were some some very good wins. On the men's side, good ones as well. I, I would say probably that Lawrence match for the same thing. They've been to a couple of final fours. Um, you know, that, that's another funny little story in that game, I'll tell you, because you'll enjoy it. Um, I don't know. It was during your time probably as a student. They're pretty close. But I don't know if you remember a gentleman named Steve Nashalitis, but he's, he's on the men's team. And his sister actually played for the women's team as well. But Steve's taking a throw in with 50 seconds to go in double overtime. And um, they said, uh, Loris player makes a comment. Steve's taking his time. He's not wasting time, but he's just being composed. And Loris makes a comment right in front of our whole bench that, hey, you're, you're wasting time. You guys would settle for a tie. And we take that throw and make a couple passes. The ball gets on the end of Dan, who's assistant with our men's coach now. Dan slots the ball in as they're counting it down from 10. And um, that was just, again, we were on the national scene. We had beat somebody big and, uh, but that was a fun little story about, you know, they were talking trash right in front of our bench. So I won't tell you exactly what our, our bench responded with once we scored, but you can probably use your imagination. So, um, that was one of those games and that was on the road. They always have a rowdy crowd. They're a very good soccer school. So, um, that was probably, that was probably my favorite on the men's side. Okay. This next thing you'll know more and how to 
put together than I would, because uh, you'll know all the positions to be able to do this. Um, what would be your all-time, let's start with the women's, like your all-time, like, women's, uh, like, throughout the years of the women's soccer team, and then if maybe you go to the men's, obviously at the women's program, it'd be pretty obvious who you would put at goalie, because it'd be, you got to put in um, Jordan Myers as the goalie, Brianna Reed would be on that team, and probably Chrissy Torn, but, like, what would be your all-time women's team if you had to pick uh, anybody that put my all-time well you're putting me on the spot because we have a lot of great rums to who helped who helped us daniel so you know i i think he, i'm going to sum it up this way i'm not going to give you probably a, a real specific answer but I, I think what's key to remember is there's there's players at their part in their career you know emily gerber changed our program she came in we were able to get we had some good returners we were able to add some uh transfers as you mentioned chrissy tora tora and Alyssa chamberlain right we were able to all of a sudden just change our profile and compete so there, there's athletes that come in at different times and it might not even be during our best years as far as wins and losses go um but they're key to the cycle during that cycle and kind of keep things on track, uh, if that makes sense. So it wouldn't necessarily be just all who's been all conference, all region, all Americans um, scored all the goals. There's, there's just certain people you have that when you're around it daily, you know, leadership, I, I'll, I'll give one example is Ellie Walbert from our 2019 game uh, team. Ellie had two seniors who played division one, one played in the big 10, or she might still be a senior this year. I'm not sure with COVID. Um, but Ellie came from a background with some great athletes and she was just a phenomenal leader. Um, and, and maybe a little bit of an overachiever on the field here, but had a great career, but worked at it. Didn't play a lot as a freshman, built sophomore, but her junior and senior year, you watch that team and Ellie was all conference her senior year, but if you watch it, she wasn't one of our flashiest players or our most skilled players, but I'll tell you, she was as key to that 2019 run as anybody with some of her leadership and, and stuff she provided off the ball. And, and there's, you know, almost pretty much an alley every year <laughs> you know what I mean so those players are, are just maybe as important to, to my all 11 team as well and and the men were the same way and the, and the men were a very established program before I got here um, I, I, I'm proud to say we kept it going and, and they're still having great success but um, same thing a lot of talented program uh, players have come through both of these players uh, both of these programs I mean over the years Jenna Woodson's another one in her time she kept it going and had a great career and almost won every academic and athletic award um, possible during her time and, and that's the other thing we've had seven chancellor athletes I believe in the last eight or nine years maybe it's eight in the last ten I don't know it's ridiculous a lot of programs around here haven't won that in their their career or their program and that's probably the most uh, um, prestigious WIC award you can win is the scholar athlete award that goes to one senior from each sport so you know those athletes that are achieving just as much success off the field academically as they are on the field um, would be in that discussion for me as well so it'd be very hard to pick a a concrete 11, but there would be, the nice thing is there'd be plenty to pick from and we'd have good depth. I, I'd enjoy coaching that team. We'd have a lot of options. Do you do better than me with that? Because I'd be like, okay, were they good? And then were there ones that were, that I thought were cute? And yeah. Like I'd probably have to put Kelsey Finn on that list, but. Um, hey, Finn had a great, I mean, she, she was part of that group that kind of changed our culture, right? Pam Lizley, yeah. I just ran into, into our Edgewood scrimmage uh, a couple weeks ago. I mean, Pam was just, uh, I was still talking to her and she still said she plays the same way. She was just a grinder and just somebody was going to, you know, Coach Henschel used to always say that Pam was going to bring her a hard hat and lunch pail to every practicing game and teams need that. I mean, she was as key to that 2010 and 11 
championship team, that 11 team, then made the first time ever in the NCAA tournament to the Sweet 16 off of the successors players like set pieces. And yeah, absolutely, too. That would definitely would definitely be in that mix. Um, I was going to add one of my favorite. Uh, I'll, I'll throw some other ones out there. I'd put Crosser, Sierra High in there, too. Um, yeah. I was going to say my favorite, one of my favorite plays was I would say the, the Marie Lesperance game winner when the other team thought, you know, At the overtime, she takes, yeah, the over, yeah, gets Whitberg, yeah, yeah. Near, that was, that was great as well. You know, coach Bottle, I say coach, cause she stayed with us for four years coaching too, but Carly Bottle had a great career here with Bree and Crosser. Those three were together. I mean, what a group of three to go four years with those three, won almost every award manageable between the three. And, and sometimes Carly gets left out of that group because, you know, as a freshman, those three all played forward. And then Karina kind of transitioned, well, freshman, sophomores, really, as an upperclassman, Karina transferred more the back, but attacking out of the back for us. Um, but, you know, Carly had to play next side, next to Bree her whole career. And she won a lot of awards, but, you know, I, I don't think either one of them was successful without the other one. Um, and really, you could say that about those three. So they all kind of fed off each other and they were just a great group of, of three. So, yeah, if I'm playing a game, I want those three in together because they know each other well and they know things um, and, and know kind of what makes each other tick and and have success. I might as well throw Alamein and National Innis in there. They were pretty good, too. And at the time, yeah, I think those two won four straight conference championships. And we have players that have you know, went their whole career winning conference championships, being in NCAA tournaments. I mean, it's been a, it's been a pretty fantastic 10 years. It's, it's crazy. I remember our, which maybe one of the seasons that was the best that our program needed was that um, 2018 season that we didn't quite reach the goals and um, didn't make the NCAA tournament for that's the only time in the last, what, nine, 10 years we didn't. Um, but, you know, people are like, why did that? I'm like, yeah, I remember you have people on our roster who have never, Never not won, at least at the conference level. I, I remember, and to think what's crazy is Coach Leipold had that in football in the 2000, you know, the seven and three year. They had their seniors had never lost a game going into that season. I mean, that, that was that was man, the year that was the great. year right after my buddy Logan got done playing. Yeah, I think it was 2013, yeah. right? So um, 2012 was the seven and three season, and my 12. buddy, my buddy Logan <laughs> Alamond, who was a uh, three-time national champion and just baseball he had been done playing but hadn't finished his degree yet but he would yeah that was like right after him yeah yeah and then they come back and and destroy mount union that was probably my favorite football game since i've been here is when they come back in 13 and redeem themselves by just dominating mount union so but again i just remember talking to lance about managing players that have never lost a game um you know it, it's difficult I, I many of our coaches pat and lance and myself we always talk about it's it's harder to climb the mountain and i can say that because our women's team i was here but we climbed the mountain um that was a lot easier than being on top of the mountain and everybody gunning for you and every game is their world cup final when they especially wic team when they play whitewater and um i wouldn't want it the other way I want to be on top of the mountain, but it, but it's it's not easy, but it's a little easier to climb it, in my opinion, than it is to try to stay on top. So um, when you get knocked off of it, it, it kind of refocuses you and help you a little bit. And again, I think the COVID year kind of did that in some regard as well. Okay, these last last two things. Um, what did you binge watch during the pandemic? Oh, um, oh, my 
wife and I binge watched a lot early on. Um, the popular one that I feel like a lot of people being watched, the comedy out of Canada, Shit's Creek. Is that right? Did I say that right? Yeah. I think um, I haven't, I haven't actually haven't watched that I, yet. Good. My wife got me into that one. We watched that. Um, and then I, I watched a ton of, and I just love this stuff, but I watched a ton of documentaries on sport during that time. I, I just, you know, I remember watching one on um, Diego Maradona. They're not even soccer ones. Some on some coaches some stuff on um, Bill Belichick, which is hard because I'm a lifelong Colts fan, but um, you know, just, again, trying to get that fixed for competing and coaching. Um, Cause that's the thing I missed the most was the game competition. I mean, I'm ready for Friday. I missed walking on that field and, and competing. So it makes sense during quarantine that I was just trying to find and study coaches that have been successful or athletes that have been successful and kind of what takes them. Uh, my, my favorite though, without a doubt had to be the last dance, right. When that came out, I mean, mm. I grew up, I grew up watching the bulls and, I think everybody was a Bulls fan at that time. I'm a, I'm a Bucks fan in Wisconsin, but I, I was a Michael Jordan fan without a doubt. So watching that and, and how he demanded what he demanded out of players, I, I thought that was a phenomenal documentary. Makes, makes you wonder why they haven't done some sort of Division Three Purple Power documentary. There you go, right? There you go, T-Shot. There's your next project, right? We, we... <laughs> get the Mount Unions, get the Mary Hardin Mailers, get Whitewater. Yeah. Yeah, if I'm avenues. starting a program, I'm putting them in purple, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, I was gonna throw out my favorite of uh, basketball. Well, I've watched Kicking and Screaming a ton of times during the pandemic, but uh, my favorite basketball movie is that Corey Wiseman movie. Which one? The One Thousand the One. The kid from uh, I don't think I've seen it. From Williams College, um who suffered a stroke his like freshman year. Oh, and then, I, I haven't seen that one. I, I got to watch that one. All right. I'm as make David, that. David Henry from uh, who played like the older brother in wizards of Waverly plays. That makes me yeah. know too much about okay. Disney stuff. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm going to check that one out. I appreciate that. Um, this the last thing I wanted to ask who has the best music interest of um, any of the Whitewater coaches and who who's better who who has more interesting musical interest, Kevin Bolas or Lance Leipold? Oh, well, that's you can throw Pat Miller in there too. Pat's more of a hard rock guy, so um, you know, Lance and I go down more the country road. Um, and, and I think Bullis is more of a classic rock kind of straight shooter, but I, I, I don't know that hundred percent. I've not talked music as much with coach, um, but I know Lance and I, uh, enjoy both, uh, you know, the modern day country a little bit. And I go to some hard, been to some concerts that I wouldn't usually go to, but I go with Pat, which is kind of a different vibe. Um, we went to uh, one of the boy bands at Pfizer and that was a different experience. Um, so Pat's probably the most music guy of the three, I would say, but, um, Lance and, and Kevin definitely listen to their tunes as well. And now they're, well, I think all of us, and something that's changed is we all, we all put music on in practice, and we have, which is awesome when we're out in the practice field that football's got it going on. We can hear it. If we turn our speaker on, you can hear it uh, kind of around the athletic facilities. And I, I personally just think it, it gives a great vibe to our athletes and, and gets them a little bit more intense during practice. Um, I was going to randomly throw in, does any, do any of them listen to any Chicago? I know I saw Chicago live at Ravinia once. 
like Chicago. You're going back a little, you're going back to more our era then. So I'm assuming there there's some Chicago in there, but I don't want to speak for them. But I would be shocked if they they don't have Chicago on occasion. Okay. Yeah, my dad's a trombone player, so I kind of gravitated towards that at some point. Um, I don't know any interesting stories out of the pandemic. I mean, I, I have an interesting one involving the Parkside band director that I probably will get to later, but. <laughs> I, I think so. I mean, we just tried to take one day at a time and survive. And like I said, I, I'm happy that I think we're we're moving in a positive direction and you know, I, I'm pretty privileged. Most of my team is um, vaccinated. And if they're not, they're testing there three times a week and pretty responsible about it. So um, I, I think we all, and I was happy to see spring sports go last year. Uh, you know, I think that would have been really devastating if, if some student athletes in sports would have lost two seasons. So the fact they were able to make it worse last spring, not only helped us out, but I think it was, uh, it was really important to see. And I was glad it did. And, and hopefully this fall we can, can do the same thing and keep setting the, the stage for our winter sports to to be able to have a, a even a more quote-unquote normal season though I think normal uh, you know I, I, when people say that I don't think we're ever going back to normal how it, you know what we used to perceive normal before March of 2020 so um, but hopefully we're able to build some ground and, and keep things going. Um, I guess I'll sum up that interesting story for me make sure you <laughs> know uh, that you biggest if you have a uh, a college band concert or any of that. And if I'm in the audience, you better not say, oh, uh, you might not have heard the Sousa March because you'll have the one person who's heard all of them <laughs> in, in the audience. And so, yeah, that that's kind of the summer, the sum, right. sum that up. But uh, I guess what were your thoughts on the Bucks winning? It was awesome. Uh, my my boys are, especially my youngest, is a big basketball player and in the NBA, though he's a Golden State Warriors fan and stuck to him so far. But uh, my older son and I, I think my wife got into it, um, obviously growing up in Wisconsin and being a Milwaukee sport fan. I've always been more of a, probably a little bit more loyal to the Brewers and the Bucks, but that that was exciting stuff to, to win it. I was a little superstitious. I had watched them beat all their rounds, their, their clinching game. I was up north. Uh, at our lake cabin in this little establishment called cookies. So game six came and I, I jumped in the truck up to cookies. Cause I, I believe I better do my part to, to help them and, and be in that same spot. And it, it worked out, but it was great for my family. We, we got behind it. We went down to not during a game, but we went down to Pfizer during the run and, you know, took some pictures. What a beautiful area they've done outside. And um, yeah, we were, we were we were all behind it the bucks and six and got some championship gear and my youngest won't admit it the golden state fan but he was he was pulling for him but you know i think another thing that came out of that which made it even more enjoyable for for sports people and, and people that do it the right way i just think Giannis was such a professional and so honest during that whole thing and had some fabulous quotes and you know he didn't take his money and um i think that's what it's true to wisconsin a little bit in our culture but i just think the nba and sport needed that so uh, it was it was awesome, very exciting stuff, and I think they got a good run in them for a couple of years here if they can keep the nucleus together. I like you and know, the Brewers maybe this. I'll I'll cry more if the Brewers do it. Um, but uh, I got to go to the Deer District for the first time during the Net Series. I paid six hundred dollars for two tickets to go to Game Five at the Eastern Conference Finals with with a guy from I bought 
bottom from Mitch Thunder Nellis, who was trying to get get rid of some, get rid of some good seats. So that was kind of a cool thing. And uh, unfortunately, I had to work during the derb during the uh, final game, but I had it on in my car. So I was like, I was go- it was the most invested the last couple of years that I've been in the Bucks. I'm pretty diehard with the yeah. Brewers. Brewers do it. I'll yeah. Tad they're all some tears because you know I've not I don't try to miss too many of those games so all right coach uh thanks for joining me and good luck this season. thank you good luck with everything buddy take care thanks for all your support go Warhawks yep go Hawks Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Podcasts on D-Shot. Feel free to give any of the other episodes a listen, as a lot of them have some great, exciting content, as well as some great interviews. Don't forget to give my Facebook page a like, Daniel Shotler Journalist, as well as give me a follow on Twitter or Instagram at dshot1992. Don't forget to subscribe if you're on Google Podcasts or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find this. And hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening and have a good day.